And once again, as always, you are tuned in to Sports Rap right here on Heat 100 Radio. And we are also live on Facebook in the group Sports Rap Podcast. And if you can't get online, you can't get it, you can get heat100radio.com. And there is another link in the description in the group where you can find us and get us and tune in. And if not, if you're available, jump right on in and get with us on Facebook Live. So I want to get into some NBA uh, talk a little bit because we've got our final four teams uh, in the Western Conference Finals. you got the Suns and the Clippers. We're going to talk a little bit about that series in a minute. And then you have the Eastern Conference Finals with the Hawks and the Bucks. So, with that being said, let's get right to Hawks Bucks. The other night, Saturday night, uh, was it Saturday night? No, I think it was Friday night because of the travel day. Whatever night it was, their game two Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, the Hawks again came out strong in Game One and stole Game One in Milwaukee. Woke the Bucks up, and then the Bucks came back in Game Two, and really put something on them. Um, they finally defeated them by 35 points. And at one point in that game, they were up, uh, I think, 40 points or so in that game. Uh, Tiffany Davidson, Brandon Void, thanks you guys for tuning in. I appreciate the support. Um, so last night or yesterday, yeah, last night's game, Game Three. In the Eastern Conference Finals, the Bucks and the Hawks. The Bucks came back late in that game, and like I mentioned, they end, they won that game by eleven points, one thirteen to one hundred two. So they take a two one lead in that series, and it wasn't a real commanding game. So I don't feel like it's a real commanding lead. It's still a little early, just two one, but. The Bucks showed a lot yesterday. Uh, they just stemmed the tide, and late in that game, they did what really good teams are supposed to do, for lack of a better word, uh, to an inferior team and the Hawks. And I'm only saying that because if you look at both of those rosters on paper, just on paper, you will easily say that the Bucks are the better team. But the Hawks have just been on a great run this year and are surprised have surprised a lot of people so far with this run but the Hawks shot very well for the three quarters but they kind of hit a wall in the fourth quarter and they couldn't make shots uh the Bucks stepped up their defense in the fourth quarter and then on the other hand the Bucks couldn't make shots um, you, you always, a lot of people think that Giannis being the superstar on that team, two-time MVP, defensive player of the year previously, is the, well, he is the superstar, but when you boil it all down, he's not really the, the go-to guy. The go-to guy to close out games for them is Chris Middleton, who set a career high, or I think he tied his career high in points. Uh, yesterday, but he really, really got it going when they needed him to in that fourth quarter. And he helped get them over the hump and push them to that win. Uh, there looks like there's a nagging ankle injury 
with Trey Young. So we'll see how that plays out uh, coming up for game four. And, you know, we'll see how that plays out, how that affects the rest of the team and, and how they change or if they change anything in their game plan to uh, combat that injury. But one of the thing, a couple things I want to mention uh, about that series is the somewhat physical play when he puts his mind to it of Giannis. He, he does have moments, um, in my opinion, where he tries to do too much, bring the ball the length of the court, and then try to go one-on-one. Um, I think it's it works out better for the Bucks. It's more beneficial for the Bucks if he just does that in the half-court set, where when he gets the ball and goes one-on-one, there's not too many, if anybody, who can stop him driving to the basket in the paint. And that's where he makes his bones. Uh, there's also the issue of his free throw shooting and his free throw routine. If you noticed, if you watched the game yesterday, the fans, and the fans are doing what fans do, heckling and making it tougher or attempting to make it tougher on the opposing team. They have been counting the amount of time it takes for him to shoot a free throw. And I understand their point behind it, but I just have to say that if you want it to work, and of course, officials, the NBA is looking at it. Uh, they have called it a couple times throughout the playoffs, so they are aware of it. But they're just counting one, two, three, four. That That's not how that count goes. It's one, one thousand, two, one thousand, and so on. And the count does not start until he actually has the ball in his hands. So I'm sure that, that, like I said, the NBA has called it, the referees have called it a couple times throughout the playoffs, so they are aware of it and they are paying attention to it. But again, the fans are going to be the fans and they're going to do what they do and try to heckle them. And last night, it worked a little bit. And his free throw percentage is not great for him to be as aggressive as he is most of the time around the block, I mean, on the block and in the paint. He's shooting like 69% from the free throw line, which you would think would be better uh, for him. You think his free throw percentage would be better, I'm sorry, um, for the type of player that he is, but it's not. So there needs to be some improvement there on, on his behalf. And just throwing this in there, uh, you know, even though his was a lot worse, Ben Simmons is a lot worse, and I understand Giannis has his struggles at the free throw line, but I think the difference that sets him apart from the Ben Simmons situation is the simple fact that he'll shoot it. He shot an air ball or two yesterday from the free throw line, and it seemed to not affect him um, on the face, on the cover. So I don't know if he was hiding it or if it just didn't bother him, but he continues to just go ahead and shoot him, and he makes some when he needs to i also mentioned to some people watching that game yesterday saw some of the things that he did and the other game in the blowout a lot of the things he did in that blowout game i said to a couple people you know that could be a version or part of ben simmons game if he got his mind right and got to it and do what he does he could easily be 
in that category. I'm not going to say he can be as dominant um, yet as Giannis is right now when he's playing with that head of steam and has his mind focused on um, dominating in the paint. But those are the things that he can do um, or he could do. Yes, he, he's not. Giannis is not the greatest shooter at the three point line, but he does shoot him and he may miss three or four in a row. And then he'll still come back and shoot the fifth or the sixth one in a row. So it's also something that he can work on. But the difference, like I mentioned, is just that one difference is he will take those attempts. And that's something that here in Philadelphia we need to see Ben Simmons do um, a lot more. Also, the physical play uh, at the guard position was one of the things I mentioned when this series was set up that Drew Holiday would be physical with Trey Young and a combination of that and the ankle injury it showed up late in that game he started out hot uh, there were a couple mental lapses um, in the early part of that game where he got some wide open looks which is totally uncalled for for somebody who scores at the rate that he does so you, you definitely have to clean that up if you're the Milwaukee Bucks pay more attention to detail you can't give him open looks like that and I think what I also mentioned to some people as well, I felt like if the Bucks got this game, the series would probably be over. I think, I know they took some wind out of the sails, a lot of wind out of the sails with the blowout win. And then yesterday, they're starting to pull the hearts out, uh, if you will, from the Atlanta Hawks. A lot of those guys late in that game, and after that game and, and watching the post-game show and seeing them in the locker room, listening to their coach talk to them, were hanging their heads. They look almost beat. I'm not going to say just beat yet. I'm going to say almost beat. One of the things that Nate McMillan said to them in that locker room was, and this is just a coach uh, trying to keep the spirits up and encourage his team, which he should do. He said that, this is the same series that they were already in and making slight reference to the Sixers series. They've been there before and they'll come back and they need to get game four. Well, Nate, I have to disagree with you uh, on that. And I don't feel that it's the same series. Uh, again, like Baldy mentioned when he was here last week, shout out to him. Couldn't be here with me today. We, we kind of broke some things down for you um, about the Sixers and where their team was and how we felt they should have been ranked as far as numbers-wise. And we also mentioned that a lot of the fans got caught up in that number one seed. And the difference between the Bucks and the Sixers is the fact that the Bucks have shooters. They have more shooters. Although the Sixers were missing Danny Green, so that arguably could have helped. And I feel like that would have helped uh, in that series, but he wasn't there, so we had to do what we had to do. But the Bucks have more shooters, more I'm going to say more pure shooters, if you will, than the Sixers do have on their current roster right now. And I think that makes them just a touch better in this type of series, playing against this young, feisty team. Because they can get themselves back in the game a little bit quicker than the uh, Sixers could. Um, we all know the situation with the Sixers with Ben Simmons, and, and it's tough 
and spe- and re- and reference to the Sixers, the way the NBA is set up right now, it's tough to rely on your seven foot center to have to play in the mid range and play out on the perimeter a little bit to try and get you to win. Like I mentioned, in that situation, a lot of times the Sixers were playing four on five. So the double teams were easier, which in essence, if you understand basketball, sometimes pushes a player off of the block where they don't have the proper spacing uh, to work what they do on the block, which you know Joel can do. And a lot of people arguably are going to say, well, yeah, he should have stayed on the block. He could have did more damage on the block. You also have to understand what I just said. When you have um, a lack of shooting, a lack of spacing, um, then you throw in the mix also a player that doesn't shoot. It makes it a lot easier for that team, for the opposing team to double team your guy on the block. And the other guys just didn't step up when we needed them to step up. So that's the story behind that. But in this series right now, I think, again, like I mentioned, I think yesterday's game gave the Hawks something to think about. Like I said, I knew going back to Atlanta, they would come out right out the gate and throw a strong punch, and they did do that. I expected that. Uh, I also expected the Bucks to come back. Um, at times, it looked like it wasn't going to happen. But then again, like I mentioned, Chris Middleton got hot when they needed him to get hot. He made some timely buckets down the stretch that got them over the top and got them to the win yesterday. So I don't understand. Again, as a coach, a former coach and a player, I understand the concept of that dialogue with Nate McMillan telling his team that they've been in that position. This is the series that they just left. But watching it, watching both series, I think it's a little different. And I think from the body language of the Atlanta Hawks players um, at the end of that game and after that game yesterday, I think they realize that this is a little different. And they're doing a lot of the things and I'm speaking of the Bucks that I said the Sixers did not do enough of in the series. Uh, I mentioned that they were going to be physical with uh, Trey Young, and Drew did do that. Um, applaud him for that. Um, Trey Young, great player, but he's been physical with him. And you know, you understand, you have to understand basketball. That's going to take away a little bit from your legs on the offensive end. Also, I think. The Bucks, although he's not really um, a major offensive threat, but he can hit the corner three. And I'm speaking of P.J. Tucker for the Bucks. They have started out games with Trey Young guarding him because they know that situation. They know that he's going to stand in the corner mostly. Um, they use him for defensive rebounding. He's going to stand in the corner. So Trey's getting a chance, a lot of time to rest on the defensive end. I think they need to incorporate that into their game plan and just kick the ball to him some make Trey Young get closer um he's playing that distance where he can so he's basically like playing free safety out there on defense and with guys like that that score at the rate that he does 
basketball wisdom, basketball knowledge, you got to make him play some defense on the other end. You cannot allow him to rest as much as he has been allowed to rest um, in both of these these past these both of these series. So I think the Bucks um, will stay on top of it, and I think they feel like they're in the driver's seat right now, especially with that comeback win. Like I said, they took a lot of wind out of the sails with that blowout, and they're inching away. They took a little bit more yesterday with that comeback win. So we'll definitely uh, see how that series plays out. Again, in my opinion, I think the Bucks are going to win this series. Um, I honestly don't think that, and like I said, this is um, considering what the situation is with the injury with Trey Young, I don't think that they have enough experience to get over the Bucks if Trey Young is not there 100% or if he cannot play if for some odd reason. So I, I'm thinking that that series is, is just about over. Um, the Bucks are halfway there to get into the NBA Finals. And in my opinion, in my belief, I think that they will be playing the Phoenix Suns in from as a representative of the Western Conference. The Phoenix Suns, another young team, with not a lot of playoff experience. Uh, they have the great Devin Booker, but they also now have Chris Paul, who does a lot of things for that team that have gotten them to this point. It's also the coaching. Monty Williams, really good coach. He was an assistant here. He played for the Sixers for a brief time during his NBA career. But I think the addition of Chris Paul, the legitimate traditional point guard who can also score has done wonders for that team um you see the difference in the play of deandre ayton again you see the play of the young guys cameron johnson mikhail bridges those guys so i think the missing of Kawhi is a big part of where the clippers are right now and Ironically, it's 3-1, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, and if anyone wants to comment, feel free. It's 3-1 the opposite direction, because after the Sixers went out, there was a lot of chatter about Doc, and then people brought up his history about in the past and blowing 3-1 leads and all this other stuff. So they're in that situation again, although it be on the other hand. It's flipped a little bit. They're down 3-1. So, could you really say that it was Doc's fault? Like people have been trying to say, um, the fans in an upstate, upset state, you know, uh, because of the way the Sixers went out. And I understand it. But asking for Doc to be fired after one year, knowing the Sixers organization, that's not going to happen. Uh, like I said, you play the numbers, they ended up with the number one seed a year after being swept out of the playoffs in the bubble. So he's not going to be fired after one year. And again, I am not uh, pulling him out of the woods, pulling him out of the water. Like I mentioned last week, there's enough to talk about all the way across the board about how that series went and how they lost that series. And we covered most of that last week, so I'm not going to delve back into that. But I just wanted to throw that out there and say, they're down 3-1 this time. I'm speaking to the Clippers. Was it really Doc? 
that lost them. And you also, I've mentioned to people, you have to understand, and this is me with my coach's hat on once again. The coach can only do but so much, okay? Uh, and I make reference to the players and putting the players in the proper position or the right position to win and win games. If your coach puts a player in and gives him specific details on what he needs from him, if that player doesn't successfully do that, is that really the coach's fault? Uh, a lot of times coaches become the scapegoat in that. But you can tell the player, listen, I need you to just get out there, control the ball. They're going to foul you and shoot free throws or uh, watch your spacing. Be, you'll be open for some jump shots. I need you to not be ready to shoot and knock those jump shots down. If the player goes out on the floor and doesn't do that, is that really the coach's fault? The coach can tell him what to do, but the coach can't get out there and do it for him. So there's a difference of opinions there in that situation um, from with me. And I think that that series is pretty much over. Like I said, the Kawhi Leonard being out factor, and he's definitely out for tonight's game, um, tonight at 9 on ESPN. So I think Phoenix can close this game out, close this series out tonight just because of the way that they're playing. Uh, and, and this is no discredit to the other guys on that team. Uh, Paul George has been up and down. He missed a free throw the other night. But you have some guys that have contributed. Reggie Jackson, Patrick Beverly, uh, Terrence Mann. But I think the Suns healthy, excuse me, are a better unit. Excuse me right now. Um, the, the missing of Kawhi Leonard is looming huge for the Clippers right now. And again, like I just mentioned, he's out tonight. So... We'll see if the Clippers can do something and push this series to a game six. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think that it'll be over tonight and the Suns will be in the NBA Finals to play the winner of the Eastern Conference Finals, the Hawks or the Bucks. And again, on that side, I think it will be the Bucks. So you got some new blood, in my opinion, some new blood playing for the NBA championship. And I think it'll be good to see. Uh, I, I think that will be a good matchup, uh, Milwaukee and Phoenix, because they have some pieces together or individually on each team that can do some things. And I think it's going to be a great series um, in the finals. So with that being said, we also the other night we found out the uh, order for the draft lottery. Um, the draft, NBA draft, is exactly one month and one day away. July 29th will be the NBA draft. Uh, speaking of the Sixers in regards to the draft, right now, currently, they have three picks. Uh, in round one, they have the number 28 pick, and they have two picks in the second round, uh, number 50, which they attained from the Knicks, and number 58. <laughs> And I say right now because we are still uncertain of what's going to happen with the situation with Ben Simmons, if he's going to be traded or not. We don't truly know yet. And again, 
you can very, you can, de- it's debatable with the situation where Rich Paul, his agent, went to the Sixers um, and wanted to talk about his future. So, and then, like I just mentioned, or I mentioned in my opening, that most recently, uh, with all the rumors and scenarios that have been floating around since the Sixers were ousted, the most recent is the fact that there have been has been some dialogue between the Warriors and the Warriors offering their picks. So just to give you the draft lottery order real quick right now, I'm going to go 1 through 14, which is which are the lottery picks. The Pistons, the Rockets, the Cavaliers, the Raptors, the Magic, the Thunder, the Warriors from the Timberwolves, the Magic again from the Bulls, the Kings, the Pelicans, the Hornets, the Spurs, the Pacers, and the Warriors. So if you were listening, the Magic and the Warriors have two picks each in the lottery. Not just in the draft, but in the lottery. Uh, it's strange to see the Warriors in the lottery, but they got these picks due to one pick due to where they ended up during the season and in the playing tournament, and the other one they got in a trade uh, with the Timberwolves. So, again, the rumor is that they are or they have offered both of those picks, the number seven and the number 14 pick in the draft, in a possible deal or talked about a deal for Ben Simmons. But that's just what's been put out. So we don't know what the conversations were like. Actually, that's just what they're telling us. So now I mentioned I'm going to give you the rosters for the U.S. women's team and the U.S. men's team for the Tokyo Olympics. I have no issues with the women's team who have been very consistent in their plight, in their fight for the Olympics. Um, Their head coach this year will be Dawn Staley, and congratulations to her for getting that job. But this is the roster for the U.S. women's team. Ariel Atkins, Sue Bird, Tina Charles, Nafisa Collier, Skylar Diggins-Smith, Sylvia Fowles, Chelsea Gray, Brittany Griner, Jewel Lloyd, Brianna Stewart, Diana Taurasi, Asia Wilson. Um, I think that's a, a pretty good team, a pretty stacked team. You've got some up-and-coming young players on this team. You've got some players that have Olympic uh, experience. So I think they'll be pretty good or pretty well off in their fight uh, for gold medal in the Olympics. The men's team, coached by Greg Popovich. You've got Kevin Durant, Dame Lillard, Bradley Bill, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, Kevin Love, which is a head-scratcher for me, uh, Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Jeremy Grant, which is also somewhat of a head-scratcher for me. So those are the U.S. Olympics teams. Now, I talked a little bit, and I mentioned about the Bucks hawks series. And in the Sixers series, um, there was a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversation about uh, some of the calls that Trey Young got uh, shooting the jump shot, initiating contact, which most of us who understand the game of basketball know and understand that the offensive player cannot create contact and get a foul. But it's been called that way. In my opinion, it puts the defender at a disadvantage 
Um, it also puts a blemish sometimes on the defender who plays good, solid, or really good defense. So, the NBA is going to institute some rule changes. And these are those rules changes. It's going to be newly an offensive foul on a shorter player who launches or leans into a defender at an abnormal angle, which is something that Trey Young does very well. Other players do it too, but I'm just saying that because that's on the tip of my tongue. That's where we currently are with the playoffs. It will be an offensive foul on a shooter who kicks his leg out at an abnormal angle. That's been instituted for a little while, um, and players have adjusted to that, so that hasn't been called as much. And finally, it will be an offensive foul on a shooter who abruptly jumps backwards or sideways into a defender. Again, some of the things that Trey Young has mastered and has gotten a lot of calls in his favor in that. So those rules are going to be changed for the upcoming season. And I think they're good changes because, like I mentioned, you have a player that could play solid, good, or really good defense, and then they get at a disadvantage or it gets wiped out with those type of acts that occur in today's NBA. Now, moving along, I want to bring you some talk about the Sixers. And we know it's going to be a very, very busy offseason uh, for Philadelphia 76ers. And, of course, with the situation and the way it played out, there's immediately talk about trades and free agencies and all this other stuff. So I saw something. Uh, and first, I'll give you some things. So the Sixers uh, free agents on currently that are on the roster are Danny Green, Dwight Howard, Furkan Korkmaz, Mike Scott, and Gary Clark. Uh, right now, on the surface, I could stretch a little bit and go on a limb. And it's already been out put out there by Doc in their um, exit uh, conferences that he would like to have Danny Green back. I would like to see Danny Green back because I don't think we got his full worth with the injury late in the playoffs. I would like to see Dwight Howard back. Um, as a backup to Joel Embiid. If it can work, Korkmaz has improved on his skills. He worked on his game. So you could possibly or arguably bring him back as well. The Mike Scott, um, I think that's gotten to the point now where he hardly played. So it's gotten to that point, like I like to say, that marriage has run its course, uh, which would alleviate $5 million off of the books. So I think that will probably be a move that will be made or seriously thought about him not being on the roster next year. Also, um, it's been put out that some realistic options in the free agent market, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Lowry, who they had conversations about this past season, Norman Powell, P.J. Tucker, and Dennis Schroeder. Um, I, I know some people who talked about Dennis Schroeder prior to him going to the Lakers, where they thought that he might have been a good help uh, as the point guard position for the Sixers. The stars that the Sixers could talk about or possibly have dialogue about, other than most of the rumors with the Dame Lillard situation, Kawhi Leonard, Chris Paul, DeMar DeRozan, Mike Conley, and Victor Oladipo. Um, 
Baldy talked about some of these guys last week when he was here in studio with us, namely DeMar DeRozan and Mike Conley. In my opinion, I, I would kind of stay away from Mike Conley due to the injury factor. Uh, Victor Oladipo would be nice, but he's been recently injured a little bit in the last year or two. The DeMar DeRozan situation. I think that could be one that could possibly be had. Um, we don't really know if they're fully going to be in a rebuild, but we do know that Greg Popovich is retiring from the coaching ranks as the San Antonio Spurs. So they may go in a different direction, a direction that DeMar DeRozan may not be comfortable with, may not like. So there's a possibility there, and I like that thought, that idea of bringing him in. The realistic options, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie coming off an injury could be a really good piece. Of course, we know Kyle Lowry. And the thing with Kyle Lowry, I, I, I've mentioned to you, will probably be the payday, the money situation there. Norman Powell could be a good addition. P.J. Tucker as well. But the bottom line, unless they do something and try to uh, go with a full training camp and have George Hill at the starting point guard or Tyrese Maxey, whoever can win that job, I think you still need, like Baldy always says, some point guard help or some guard help that a player that can create his own shot off the dribble and can knock down an open jump shot. Not necessarily a three, but an open jump shot and will be a threat to shoot and that can create. The biggest part is that can create his own shot off of the dribble is what is a big need for my Philadelphia 76ers right now. So, again, going to be a busy, busy summer for the Sixers. And like I always do, any information I get, I will relay it to you as I do so I'm going to take another break when I come back I'm going to talk a little bit about um, another article that I saw about the NFL and their concussion settlement there's also I mentioned to you maybe two weeks ago a story about Michigan the University of Michigan and their doctor with the alleged sexual abuse of players we're going to talk a little bit about that there's another player who has come out and has brought some other stuff to light about that situation you are tuned in to sports rap right here on heat 100 radio it's your boy sports rap d i'm going to take a quick break when i come back we'll pick up on those other stories and we'll see you on the other side